Thank you for tuning into White Centipede Noise Podcast. Please hit the like button and subscribe to this channel. This podcast is made possible by viewer and listener support. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider supporting it at patreon.com slash white centipede noise. White Centipede Noise is a label and mail order based in Germany, releasing top quality noise on tape, CD, and vinyl. White Centipede Noise is also the premier EU-based distributor of international noise. Visit whitecentipedenoise.com to see available label releases and weekly distro updates. Welcome to White Centipede Noise Podcast. My name is Oscar Brummel, and today joining me is the man of paranoid time, one of my personal noise heroes. He also runs, he also ran the fantastic labels SNSC, Scratch and Sniff Entertainment, and Gaping Hole, among other things. Please welcome Pat Yankee. Hi, Hello. Pat. Hello. Good morning. Hi, <laughs> thanks, thanks for asking me to, to be on the podcast. Yeah, man. Thank you for joining me. That's really cool of you. Um, so I want to get into your history kind of right away. Okay. You are an artist I associate with like mid late two thousands, harsh noise, kind of what I think of as the Tronics era. Um, yeah. you know, alongside names like the Rita, the cherry point, um, I think you released your first Paranoid Time tape in 2005 or somewhere around there. Um, but you've actually been active in like experimental underground noisy music for quite a bit longer. And I'm not really so informed about your pre-Paranoid Time activities. Um, can you give me about a little bit about your pre-Paranoid Time musical background yeah, sure. Um, uh, I think you can probably start. I mean, the first, the first band I was so I was in bands right prior mm -hmm. to like doing experimental or noise or like punk bands. Um, I had a band that I was in with some friends called Fatty Two by Four, and that was like ninety two, ninety three, something like that. Um, mm -hmm. And it was like. The way it always was with me was I was, um, and it's the way it was when I started like doing like the SNSE label and, and just being involved with putting out music, whatever. I was more like a fan. So like I was always like on the periphery. So like my friends were in bands and shit and I couldn't do, I couldn't play anything. I can't like, I can't play guitar. I can't like play drums. I can't program shit. Like I'm just useless. Um, so like all my friends were in bands and we would just go and, check out that uh, their shows and whatnot. And, uh, and just in the course of hanging out, like, um, eventually it got down to like, Hey, let's, <laughs> I would always have ideas for bands and stuff. Like, this is what you should do. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, so I eventually got together and it was me and like, like two friends from one band and another guy from another band. And we came together and like, but everyone decided to play their, um, not their instrument. So like the bass player played drums and then uh, the guitar, the, the guy that would normally, 
do vocals or whatever, to play guitar. And then the guy that played bass was a guitar player, but he was left-handed. So he played the right-handed bass, but upside down. So it was like, and then I sang. So it was just like this fucked up sounding band. Um, cool. That, so th- it's that was my first band, and then uh, like late, much later on, uh, I was in another band uh, called Vicksburg Steelers, which was uh, a playoff. <laughs> Vicksburg is like a town here in Michigan that's like t- ten miles away, so it was like an in joke that like only people, local people, would understand. <laughs> <laughs> um, so and, and that I did like so I was vocalist for that band as uh-huh. well because I can't do anything, and uh, yeah. I think that's when the noise uh, things started to happen for me because I was like, you know, fuck it. I don't want to just like sing. I want to like do more than that. Um, mm-hmm. cause I can't sing either. Um, so I had, uh, like this little PV amp that I would put the mic through and then we'd mic that. So it just was, I mean, you really couldn't hardly hear what I was doing. Cause it was just, all, you know, mm-hmm. like feedback. Yeah. <laughs> I remember one of the shows, like, um, we played, like there's this group of, um, like, jocks and their girlfriends were sitting because we played like the sports bar and uh they came up and like i remember like the girl like like tapping her uh boyfriend or friend's shoulder or whatever like help them they don't they need help like this guy somehow knew something about like audio so he's like trying to get up and like try to adjust the volume on <laughs> and it's just like yeah that's not that that's that's intentional right so like we did that and um so i did that and then uh, also during that time, I started doing this uh, uh, tape, super primitive um, tape project. This is probably like the first like experimental like noise type thing that I did mm-hmm. um, with a friend. Uh, and we had this project called Jockuses. Yeah. And um, it was, again, I don't like, it was all him. Like we had a four track and then we would take, the, we would take two VCRs and we'd play a VCR, we'd, we'd find like a sample, like on some stupid horror movie uh-huh. and we would manually loop like to do, we wouldn't make a loop. We would like take my, my father never killed anyone. Pause, rewind that part. And then he paused it on the four track. My father never <laughs> killed any pause, like, and just fucking do that for like an hour and to get like three minutes of my father, like a loop like that. Wow. And then we, um, and, and so then we, we build like tracks like that and it's just super annoying. And I don't, I don't know how well it's some, I think some of it's eight. I haven't listened to any of it in a while. I don't know how well any of it aged. Um, it was more just like some of it you put on SoundCloud and I remember like several years ago. Yeah. I think running I into yeah. it somehow and like being really like obsessed with it for a little while. Like the one, like to get the deed, go <laughs> to the store I and know. get yeah. yeah 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 we would totally like it. we would totally so we would s- just smoke a ton of weed and like drink like 90 pat like and just go until like three in the morning or, or four in the morning whatever and get super obsessed with like this yeah like that to get the deed we'll go to the shack and get the deed like dude we got to do that like a hundred times in a row and we, that's what we build the track out of and then it'd be super minimal and that would be it. And, and like the fact that we were doing it manually and getting like more like trashed as we were doing it, like <laughs> the loops would get off and like, you'd hear like the clicks and st- all that kind of stuff that sounds cool. Like, yeah, it would just naturally happen. It just naturally happened because we didn't know what we were doing. And we were like, well, we didn't know what we were doing, but it was just stupid. 
Yeah, so we, I did. A, we did a bunch of those. I have a lot of that stuff still. I, I don't know. I always feel like, is it time to bring that out? Like, yeah, who man, would, it is. Who would even care? Um, but <laughs> it is, man. <laughs> I really so yeah, so and that. then um, yeah, so then that was some of that Jockus's stuff and the Vicksburg Sealer stuff was some of the first stuff I put out with SNSC. So SNSC just started off, did not start off to be like a noise only label, and I think. Um, it was just like whatever sounded good to me at the time. So like all a lot of the early stuff was like CDR stuff of like either friends weird rock bands or friends just normal rock bands or you know the first uh, LP we did was by this uh, by a group of people that were friends um, and it's just like it just does not at all reflect the direction that you know, the label eventually went in because it was always just kind of followed whatever my interests were at the time. So then as I started to get more like um, in, into, uh, you know, it, my taste evolved, and I started finding out more about noise. Um, that's how the label started evolving. And then that's and it, kind of in acknowledging that I was kind of like started to be um, uh, bothered by the fact that there is like, all right, so now I'm putting out some really cool stuff uh, on SNS is like evolving into like what I kind of always wanted it to be um, or what I pictured it being or, or being really comfortable what, with what it is, I guess I should say. And I started being bothered by the fact, well, you know, the early, you know, the early number, the early releases on this are not, they don't really jive. And I wanted something more, um, I'm not going to say pure, right? But uh, that's what led to the gaping hole, like more concentrated, more focused, just like straight okay. noise thing that yeah. can always be. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, if, for better or worse, if it came out kind of fully formed, never changed or, or deviated from that initial um, concept. And so, yeah, so that's the way that came about. But yeah, so in terms of stuff, uh, earlier stuff, uh, basically some punk rock groups, the Jockasis thing. And then um, at some point I was like, I want to try to figure out how to do like actual noise by myself. And that's, that's what paranoid time started. Cool. And a lot of those SNSC early releases, you know, even into the two thousands were in the, in the noise realm, but they were definitely more with like, I guess what I would associate with the more noise rock stuff yep. or yeah. kind of like the um, kind of, I don't mean this in a negative way, but the kind of like the weirdo noise stuff, like the Michigan vibe. Yeah. Um, but your project Paranoid Time is like, like true harsh noise. Like it's like heavy on the harsh noise. It's not really from that kind of, I don't, I don't, I don't see it as from that, like uh, that cloth in some way. What made that, what made you make that plunge to like this, like really pure harsh noise? I mean, I, I assume you had an eclectic taste an eclectic, like, there was a lot going on in the scene at that time, like, you know, yellow swans were, were really active and big and things like that. But we like, did paranoid time is definitely like a step in the, the harsh, pure direction. So I did a, a release for the uh, yellow swans. We did one. Um, and right. they, they were, they were funny because they were like very particular about what they wanted. And they're like, Pat, I want you to get a bucket of pig blood from a butcher and take a sponge <laughs> and do the covers with the pig blood from the butcher. And I was just like, and they, they said this, this is seriously what, and I, I mean, I took them for what they're, for their word. Like, this is serious because they're like, 
So I did. did I didn't do that. I didn't. Huh? Did you know them well at the time? No, I I never knew them. I never knew them well. It was just a weird. (laughs) I mean, we kind of like, you know, we corresponded. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, isn't that something? Isn't that kind of a bit much to just be like, (laughs) this is what I want you to do for the cover. Get some fucking pig blood. <laughs> Rub it on the cover. <laughs> so I, I just made, you know, I did the best I could. I just would like to die. And I think I like cut up chunks of, I might have put like actual meat in there to like give it like texture. Like, but yeah, I, I couldn't do, I couldn't do that. But yeah, anyways, um, to talk about like the paranoid time, uh, the harshness, I think, I think that was probably having to do like, well, there's probably a couple things. Certainly, like what was like going on in my like my life, like uh, just being, I was fucking pissed. I like it. Well, for most of my life, just being super, just low key pissed off most mm-hmm. of the time. Okay. Um, so I think that was part of like a release type thing. Um, mm-hmm. I think it was part, uh, partly a reaction to sort of like what I was getting into and really digging um, in the noise, like what was resonating with me, and then trying to like do my version of that. So like. Mm-hmm. Every, I feel like a lot of the early paranoid time, almost all of the paranoid time stuff, really, whether it sounds like it or not, is just me ripping off uh, the Rita, right? Like, it's <laughs> like, that was my thing. I like, I just, I love that so much. Um, that, and like, and, and, and Tommy and Dan stuff, those Killing Four tapes, like that yeah. really, um, all that stuff was kind of coming out right about when I was figuring out how I wanted and what I wanted to do with, yeah, with par- paranoid time. So like those absolute influences right there. And I think that's how that started just really going in that direction. And then I just got real single minded about because it it's like, oh, and it was actually kind of the first style that I was able to like figure out. Like when I first tried to do paranoid time, I was trying to do like Dillaway like loops kind of uh-huh. thing. like I was building those cassette tapes and making yeah, loops yeah, yeah. And, and like I don't even like I don't like doing this. Right? Like I don't. <laughs> yeah. And they you know, break and you're like, God damn it. Or they just don't sound, or it's just stupid. Like I was, I had like one that has like a seagull on it. So I was like, Kaka. Kaka. <laughs> you know, it's just like, this is, this sucks. Right. Like I just, I don't, I'm not cut out for it. Right. So um, when I finally, like, I think it was Keith uh, from uh, paint mania, like we were talking and um, he mentioned he used like drum triggers I, because dude, I didn't even know what a fucking contact mic was or what. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. Like I just don't know anything. Yeah. Um, and nobody tells you stuff, right? Like you just right. got to figure just it's life. Um, yeah, yeah. And so I finally bought some of those like off eBay and like, f- like figured out like, Oh, holy shit. Okay. This, that's the sound. That's the sound that I've been trying to yeah. make with like these tape loops and shit. And like, so I was off to the races after that. that and then, so I just, and I really haven't, I mean, honestly, like it is not deviated. I haven't like added any <laughs> nuance. Nuance has gone out the window. Like it is, <laughs> it, nuance is not part of what I do. Well, it's interesting that you say the killing sessions though, the killing four tapes, because that's actually something I wanted to bring up later is that your stuff does have like, I would say a really, in the same way that I think the killing sessions tapes have a really weird refined quality to them like that. The Killing for Norland tape, for example, is like got this really weird broken sound that's hard to place. It's almost like it's like something struggling and dying or like weak, but it's also super powerful. Mm. I talked to Tommy about this too. He didn't really have an answer for what it was, but he's like, yeah, Dan made it sound like that. And like, it's sick. But (laughs) I feel like, um, yeah, a lot of your tracks that are like the more like Wally kind of have this really like interesting, um, 
layered, like, I think I remember describing it as like dusty or like airy mm. feel to them. Like there's like distant things like clattering and like prickling. It's a really like, it's definitely a very unique and like anomalous sound, I think for harsh noise in oh. that it's still like very brutal. You know, you still have these parts that are like brutal and crunching and stuff like that. But like some of like the, the, the subtle ways that, I mean, maybe it's not subtly achieved, but there's a certain subtle characteristic to a lot of it that I think is, 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 uh, on par with the killing four tapes. I, I see that. I see that wow. res, um, resemblance. Wow. Well, I mean, thanks for all that. I mean, I appreciate that. I, um, the way I approached, uh, the way I pro or still approach recording and especially the, the, the more wallish, um, things side mm -hmm. of the project, mm -hmm. um, is definitely not, like sort of what uh, Vamir ended up with, like just, and I'm not at all saying this is what he does, but like just like set it and just like let it go type yeah. thing. It is like when I'm doing that, it's constant. Like it is constant, like EQing and like yeah. adjusting and like slight panning and like slight volume yeah. up and down and like bringing in other elements and like switch. Yeah. You know, it's constant movement. It's like uh, Jeff Jeff Mills doing. Deep, DJ shit. like it's like just totally right. like playing it like that and that's yeah. sort of the way I approach this thing maybe that contributed to that I also would record everything like on cassette tape into a cassette deck and then if I'm going to do another track I use that uh, you know it's just super primitive no four tracks or anything yeah. so I think that that airy um, tape noise thing kind of starts yeah. to permeate and come up it's just the techniques I think yeah okay cool this episode of White Centipede Noise Podcast is brought to you by Scream and Writhe Distro and Absurd Exposition Label. Canadian-based source for experimental electronics, harsh noise, power electronics, etc. Over 1,000 items in stock on all formats. Media mail shipping to the USA and affordable international shipping. Available Friday, November 5th. Normal Rituals, another center tape. And Coastal Flood, other Frontiers, triple three-inch CDR compilation of cult Canadian noise. Forthcoming in 2022, Mersbau, Aqua Necromancer Expanded Double LP, reissue of the essential psych noise mantra from 1998, plus releases from Alex York, Hermit, Neural, Mott, The Nausea, The Rita, Violent Shogun, Wince, and more. Visit ScreamAndWrithe.com or AbsurdExposition.Bandcamp.com. It was never an exclusive thing that defined you, but you were kind of associated also like with the the movement that Sam McKinley, the Rita started, like the the harsh noise wall thing, um, which then developed into really, really specialized uh, subgenre with like strict rules and tropes. Yeah. But um, you were also part of kind of like the early days of it. I think, you know, you've appeared on some of the, some of the compilations that were kind of like, like uh, wall noise themed and things like that. Um, what's your take on that phenomenon? I loved it. I still love, I love the fact that the project is associated with that time and that mm -hmm. coming out and, and sort of um, being recognized as sort of a, as being a recognized as some sort of a genre, you know, mm -hmm. like, I don't know. It, it certainly wasn't conscious about it at the time, you know, like, yeah. Um, and certainly like the rules hadn't been like codified and like made like, this is, this is wall, this isn't wall. And this right. is, you know, um, that sort of thing. Um, but it was more just like, 
trying to just be as maximal as possible, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's what, at least what I was trying to do. And that, <laughs> and the day that Sam like wrote, like sent me the email asking me to be on that comp, my head just like, you know, like, explode, yeah. like, holy shit that, yeah, that, yeah. So that, um, and I think it did a lot for like my confidence and, you know, and, and, and just the project and just really kind of spurred me on to keep going to, he's like, and you get to be on with Vamir. And it's like, no, I didn't yeah. no idea who it was. So like he, me and Romaine started writing and like, he sent me a shit ton of like his stuff. I was like, this is cool. Yeah. Um, and uh yeah it's just it's awesome to like i feel like i lucked into that you know um and i yeah it, it's it's great i i love it i it's it's an aspect of what i do right and i think i feel yeah. like i'm not you know for as like little as i'm actually currently like recording stuff that's the kind of thing that's actually sort of like most appealing to me to kind of get back to if i was to start doing stuff again i sure. get more ideas for like shit i want to do from a wall type perspective than I do sure. from like junk, junk metal or whatever. Okay, cool. This episode of White Centipede Noise podcast is brought to you by Skeleton Dust Records. Located in downtown Dayton, Ohio, Skeleton Dust Records has offered noise, experimental, and other underground music and beyond for the discerning listener since 2017. Stay tuned for new releases from Dayton Noise Artists' Final Machine and Exclusion Zone, plus an essential reissue of Cosmic Noise from Japanese noise pioneer and incapacitance member Fumio Kosakai. You're famous for using Proco rat pedals, basically exclusively to my knowledge. What is it about that pedal that yeah, it's not yeah, I don't use those exclusively though, but like I um the thing about that, that's another thing I totally stole from the Rita. So all right, whatever <laughs> um what was the name of that comp? Was it the it wasn't the Nitro Dragsters, it was the other one, the um what was that other one that came out right around then? Total the, slitting of throats. Total slitting of throats. Yeah, like there's yeah. a well, one of those two had a poster of him, like kneeling with a balaclava over his head, yeah. and like with a knife in the ground, yeah. and like these pedals set up front. I was like, that's badass. I want to yeah. have a version of that, and like, what could I use? And so, because um, I think those are all like, were those all DOD or something? I, don't I think know what they're those, DOD death pedals. Yeah. Yeah, I think they're all yeah. So I was like, I, all right, so I, you know, I'm going to do a version <laughs> of that, and. uh we had the Proco is from Kalamazoo, right? And wow. um, growing up, like like coming up with my friends and stuff, I had friends that used to work there, and they build these build the rat pedals. And I remember driving by like every day, and you'd see all these burnouts that worked at like Proco, like smoking, and it just <laughs> like just romanticizing this scene. Uh, and I was thinking, man, and I'm from Kalamazoo, I could do like the rat pedal. And not only wow. that, the thing looks fucking badass. And not only that it like it sounds awesome for guitars i don't know if it sounds awesome for noise um it's like <laughs> it, it adds like its own texture flavor for noise but you can't just use i i can't just use that right like you can't because it would just sound way too much if you try to do that it yeah. sounds totally like shit because trust me okay. i tried like after a while it's like yeah i'm the rat guy let me <laughs> let me just try to use just rats and it's just like nothing good comes out so you have to use it in conjunction with it but i kind of really leaned into it as like Sort of like, yeah. Also being a fan of like metal and whatnot, growing up, like it'd be cool to have like a logo, right? And then, yeah. and in some way, that rat pedal ended up being sort of like my logo. So like, I kind of yeah. just lean on that too, um, and run with it. But I wouldn't say it's necessarily the pedal's good. It's fun, 
it just it looks better than what it sounds and i just totally ripped off the i was just ripping off aesthetics really and, I, and again another thing that's really funny I, I had no idea i really thought you were exclusively using it and i also remember hearing or reading an interview i think with the rita where he's like yeah it's so cool what like Pat Yankee can get done with the rat. I've tried it so many times and I can't make it work. Right. <laughs> you can't. Yeah. Because you can't, <laughs> that's nonsense. Dude, that's I have one that I've been holding onto forever. And I yeah. always try to bring when I, when I'm like recording, I'm like, fuck, I got to change something up. I got to spice something up here. Let me see if this rat will do the trick. I bring it in and I start plugging in. And then I'm just like, after like, few hours i'm like this thing doesn't really bring anything to the table and i put it back away but i i can't sell it i, I keep like i keep thinking it's gonna be like oh no, look yeah it looks cool on the table right it's super cool yeah That's i gotta awesome. um i do have to figure out a way like so that is like part of my idea like so like i so i've got a shit ton of these things now too because i've tried all different like i got at least four of the like little pedals and then i yeah. got Two of those multi ones. One of them the was actually Sam's that he sold me because he couldn't do shit with it. I was like, I'll buy it. <laughs> um, so I've got a shit ton. I've got basically eight eight or nine of these rats. I got to figure out. Like, and I, no matter how bad it sounds, I have to just like, that has to be one gig, right? Like, of just like stacked up rats. I thought you'd done that. I thought that's what you were doing. I thought that that's what you were doing the entire time. I know. Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> no. <laughs> that would have been way cooler. That's great. I do use it. I use the pedal. Don't put. Don't get me wrong. But it's like it's but not those exclusive. pictures where it's like the table and your machete and like all rats. Do you have like some other pedals hidden somewhere? Like mm, some of those pictures, like the pictures for like the CD that we did. That was just like me putting the pedals on the table and taking a picture of those. Like I have yeah. these many rats. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, there's other pedals. Like I, I do usually have the rat. The rat is like the bass. Kind yeah. of like, and I always approach this shit like, you know, like a band. So like the rat is like the bass. I've got this other uh, pedal that other distortion that's like the treble and the guitar. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I've got like, usually it's like some sort of delay. And I think of that as like the vocals thing. Okay, and cool. That's how I kind of approach But I usually don't, I don't want to use more than like three pedals. Cause that's yeah. not what I do. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, where does the obsession with the machete come from? I was trying to think about that. Um, that machete, uh, we were we went to Nogales, Mexico. It's just like this little tourist town right over the border uh, in, I think it's Tempe. I um, and we were walking around and. Uh, looking at the shops and things, and there was a machete in there, and it was this the machete, I, and it said O.J. Simpson Special Edition, like as well as carved into it. I was like, "Holy shit! Holy shit! I gotta buy this!" And so I, I bought it, and um, what and like, it's funny because uh, the person, uh, the people I was with, um, I walked through with a machete, like back across the board, like holding the machete, just walking yeah. through. And uh, some of the people I'm walking with get stopped in like their bag search. And I was like, so there's something about like, I was just able to like, there's something about that machete. So I held on to it. Well, I'm like, I, you know, I'm going to use it to like defend the house or something like that. I don't know what I was going to do with it. Um, and I remember there on the old Tronics board, there's something, this is prior to that um, noise fest in uh, Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. um, I think that was the first time I busted it out. 
like um, pedestrian deposit played uh, show. And do you remember any of the any of this story? Like, uh, unless I'm just making this up, but like something happened where somebody either chased him out of the house, like somebody had a machete. There's something to do with a machete. And I remember like thinking, like, what am I going to do for the show in Minneapolis? And I was reading about this and like there was a machete incident of some sort. So like, fuck it. This I, I've got OJ Simpson special edition like machete. Wow. I'm going to bring that and hook up um, contact mics to it and just go, go nuts with it. And uh, so that's where, that's where that came from. Like I had this machete for years of like, and just sitting in the corner of the house. And then this story about Borges and some, some incident happened. Um, I wish I, had I remember that. Yeah. I remember details that. About, you know what I'm talking about? Like it was yeah, at a yeah, house yeah, party yeah. or something and somebody got mad and a machete and that's all I can remember about it. And like, fuck it. I'm going to, bring this machete because it's Minneapolis and that's what they, they like machetes <laughs> in Minneapolis. So Fuck. like, yeah. I so had then no I, idea. I'll get yeah. into that story one of these days. Um, I'll save it for Are now. You there? Do you yeah, know? yeah, 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 yeah. What happened? Um, pedestrian deposit was playing in Minneapolis at a show that so I got that much right. I got that yep. part right. Yep. And a show that some friends of mine put on. There was this guy there, a friend of mine, I would say, who's also a real pain in the ass and a real asshole. Um, he was pedestrian deposit was playing with a machete as part of their set, which I oh, forgot okay. about completely. But um, they were. This was just when pedestrian deposit kind of transitioned from the really harsh stuff of John Solo to the duo of John and Shannon, which was more subdued and dynamic. And right. the set that they played was very subdued. I think it didn't get harsh at all. And they had candles and I think cello. And um, this this guy um, who is a huge shit talker, like he's the ultimate troll. He's like the ultimate real life troll. He started talking shit about them that it was, you know, wimpy, blah, blah, blah. This is <laughs> stupid. This isn't noise, blah, blah, blah. And yeah. then he played his set. His name is Seth Van Horn. He does a project called Disthroned Agony. Okay. So he played his set then at the end of the night and had some microphone, was kind of doing like a vocal power electronics kind of thing. Some sort and of started, true harsh noise. Yeah, and started being like, you know what I fucking hate? Like, <laughs> fucking pussy noise. Like, And he started talking shit about them. And Matt from Urn actually was touring with them also. Yeah. And he was up front and I think he walked up to him and like threw a drink in his face or like pushed him or something like that. And then his set ended the, you know, the power, it was like, like power was cut. And then they were screaming at each other. Uh, Matt punched him in the head. And then all of a sudden he got really like, um, like defensive, like, Oh my God, I can't believe you're resorting to violence or something like that. Like, um, yeah, like what? What did? What is? Uh, what is Mike Tyson? It was like it was Mike Tyson. Everyone like, has a plan to get punched punch in the face. Punch in the face. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was like that. And then I don't know. It, I was just, I was just watching it. I feel I I feel bad to this day that I didn't actually step in and like tell him to just like shut the fuck up and like stop because yeah. it really escaled and. He the was machete came out somehow. Yeah, he was yeah. screaming at John and Shannon. They were screaming at each other. They were leaving. They were like about to just fucking burn off in the car. 
and she threw the machete at him. Oh, like, wow. uh, and it hit him. So I think, like, I mean, I don't think wow. it cut him. It didn't hit him hard, but it, I mean, it hit him. And then they like, they like peeled out and yeah. And then like the next day he like got on like the noise board and tried to tell the story. Like, yeah, like, maybe that's what like, I saw. Like brag about it and like get sympathy. And everyone was like, who are you? Like, you sound like a, t- like, <laughs> like pedestrian pod. That's great. Like what's wrong? Like what the fuck? Um, yeah. but I really, I think, I mean, I laugh about it. It was, I, I have to say at the time it was, it was funny just cause it was so absurd, but I know it really like, it really was, I think bothersome to, and hurtful to oh. pedestrian deposit and Matt. And I think it kind of like turned them sour on, on things for a while. And oh. so, yeah, that's the story of that. Um, Interesting. No, I, yeah, I, I mean, I, you hear a story like that is just like, that sounds so ridiculous. And like, especially like being where I, my mind was at the time is just like, I'm just going to like do this, like in sort of like, and not tell anybody that this is associated with this. Right. That's funny that no, I, did, I had no idea. Yeah. I thought you were doing it. that. Yeah, so then it was just like this super fun to fucking play with a machete. Like that's mic'd up like that. So it's like, yeah. well, fuck it. I think I might've just like found what I can do for the next little while right yeah and that was the, that was the heavy focus fest and you raged hard like that was really like that was the first paranoid time set that i saw where people were really like lifting up the table and like like grabbing your shit i don't know if they really lift up the table but they were like you were like in the middle like standing up like doing like almost a handstand kind of thing like really like it was super yeah. um it was yeah, super, it was super fun. fun. Yeah, I think I remember Luke was being Luke was there. Uh, yep. Tandy is like right in front of the table. And that's what I was like. I had this thing and I hadn't been beating it up for our, so it was still kind of like special edition sharp. I just like, you, you know, this is this is a real machete because, <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm spazzing out with this thing like, yeah. and like, I, you know, I've been dangerous. And the recording of that set is actually on the 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 live abuse tape that came out on um oh yeah 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 yep yep on, on starved um, relations Vegas. i think starved relations yeah, yeah. and yeah. i listened to that not too long ago and that track is on there and you're like you're doing vocals into i don't know if it's into a mic or into the machete and you're like yeah. <laughs> you're like uh back up this is a live machete or something like that yeah like, yeah yeah i think i was trying to warn people i didn't want it to end bad i didn't want it yeah, to end exactly. like <laughs> And you want anyone peeling off, right? Yeah. <laughs> this is a live machete, so don't get it too close. Yeah. So when you play live, your your physical presence and your body language is a really big part of the performance. But it doesn't really feel like you're doing a performance like to be theatrical. Just but it still has like this really big element. Um, hmm. How important is the physical performance to Paranoid Time in in relation to the sound, for example? Um, I think that's just what happens. You know, like I don't ever have. Um, that much of a game plan. It's like a, I mean, if there's a one trick 
fucking pony. It's me. Like when I play live, at least like what I've been doing, you know, for the past 10 years or whatever. Right. Like, it's just like, okay, plug in the two, the two pedals with the contact mics and then whatever hunk of metal I got in front of me. And that's going to be what it is. So then it just becomes me like trying to like get the crowd stoked and into it. Like, um, I would say the biggest influence on me as like a performer where it would be um, uh, like Shannon Selberg from the cows, Mike hard from the God bullies, like these mm-hmm. like old noise rock bands that I first, like I would saw when I was just first getting to school in Kalamazoo. Mm-hmm. Um, God bullies are from Kalamazoo. So we got to see all the AMRAP bands and there would be um, some really amazing shit that would come through and like the attitude and like the the fuck the fuck you of these mm-hmm. guys like mm-hmm. made such an impression on me and i think i've been sort of like chasing and tra- trying to emulate that sort of thing but not like a fuck you fuck you i hate you but like fuck yeah. you let's fucking yeah sorry if i mean let's fucking rock right and yeah. that's sort of like what i try to do with the paranoid time and i and i think most if it's a good night and it, people react to that and that's when you get the table and shit like that yeah it's more like let's have let's fucking rock you know and um like i'm not putting on a a sound class for (laughs) for anybody you know it's more like yeah so it's it's more like that confrontational like front man type vibe you know i think is that something that comes naturally to you or is that something you have to like work on no this is just like what happens (laughs) (laughs) this is what happens like i'm not it depends. Like, uh, it depends on how comfortable I am in a, with a person in a situation. Most of the time I'm pretty introverted, but like once I get comfortable or I get comfortable in a situation or if I, then I, then I, that's, you know, I'm more, way more out front. And so like, I know at this point, like what I can do because I've kept it so simple. I've kept the parameters like really kind of narrow with paranoid time live at this point Yeah, is I can have like a lot of confidence in it. So like I can stare somebody in the face and do the, yeah. the thing. And then I know, yeah a few little tricks that are going to work. And then I know how to like do the pregnant pause and like all that. So yeah. like I, I know how to do it. And so I can be really, really confident up there. And yeah. Um, which is kind of different. Like, you know, you can tell people that don't have that full confidence in what they're, what they're able to do because either because they're just learning or whatever, or, right. you know, early on in performance, yeah. but it took a while to get there. It wasn't always like that. I don't think with my shit. I know you're a wrestling fan is, is wrestling, also like a influence in how you behave and you have probably yeah probably i remember uh, i mean some of my earliest memories of like watching shit on tv is like georgia championship wrestling i remember like the very few fights that i got like i got in a couple of fights in grade school and i remember one time like in my mind i just went total like fucking freebirds mode like and i was like like the kid popped me in the, in the nose and I was bleeding out of my nose. And I just like, suddenly just went into like, I was going to do a pro, like I was kind of promo, like, where is he? I'm going to cut and like the, and they're like, he's right <laughs> there. He's right there. Like, I was just like, totally went blind with like rage. And like, I was going to be fucking, uh, Michael Hayes, like, and just like fucking cut a promo on this guy. Um, but yeah, then that, uh, I, I think that does like that sort of theatricality and that sort of, um, I don't know. You carry yourself. They carry themselves. The best swagger. ones carry themselves a little swagger and with, you know, and always, always, always the best ones always do have like a little element of humor in there too. So like, yeah, yeah I think all of that, like 
informs sort of like how I try to perform that and the the lead singer thing. And even those people, even those guys like Mike Hart and, and Shannon Selberg, the cows like, and Jay Ryan and like Six Finger Sally, they all, they're super dark and kind of and scary, but there's, uh-huh. there's a, there's a little element of humor in there too. If yeah, you're yeah, yeah, with yeah. it, you know? And yeah. so that's what I'm trying to do with that. So cool. Has it ever gone wrong? Has it ever like, like I know people like like to lift the table and like touch your shit. Has it ever like gone wrong and really fucked things up or like really irritated you or like no. someone plugged you or anything like that? No, no, I never like if people are doing that, if if something gets fucked up, like um that amplified humans when they lifted up the table on me and like all all the shit got unplugged. And uh, like yeah. I'll just have them put it down yeah. and then like I'll bend over and like pick it back up and like just like stop Sorry, it man. and like plug the stuff back in <laughs> and then and then you start raging again and then people are even more stoked so like if something goes wrong it's even better right so like awesome. fuck something up and then just like carefully yeah put it back together <laughs> and people love it. <laughs> oh, but i would never be mad about it if people were like flipping out enough so that they fuck something up on the table that's like a victory right there you could just end yeah. it actually too like that'd be all right cool <laughs> cool you know yeah awesome This episode of White Centipede Noise podcast is brought to you by New Forces. Coming soon on New Forces, the debut full-length CD from Mass Marriage, the best-kept secret in heavy electronics. A CD of Evil Moisture's classic album Gak, remastered from the original source tape. New cassettes by Cost, Robert Fuchs, and Mott, each offering a unique approach to harsh noise. Visit the New Forces store for older releases and distro titles, including Richard Ramirez, CCCC, Kufar, Aaron Dilloway, Jeff German, Altar of Flies, Kyostad, Sissy Spacek, Killer Bug, and much more. Um, so I've seen like pictures of your studio setup, and you've kind of talked about this already a bit with the rats. Um, but what goes into a like a finished Paranoid Time recording? Like what what's your general recording process? Uh, most of it is from the mixer um, to the tape deck and then just bouncing that. And then I have um, I have two handheld tape, um, like Sony tape things that uh, I, I use. A, I don't use a four track, so I don't use a multi-track anything. So mm-hmm. like I'll just like if I'm going to multi-track something, it's recorded onto tape. And then I put that as one of the tracks and then I record onto another tape and then I'll take that tape. It's mm-hmm. sort of like that jocks is like real brute dumb mm-hmm. idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll do that. And those will be like my sources. Um, there's when I used to live in a place where I could like play out through an amp, you know, everything's at home. I don't like go to a studio or anything, but right. when I was in a place where I could do that reasonably, I would do some live stuff, but most everything just goes through the mixer into the tape deck and then just dump it down. And, um, I do editing, um, in audacity mm-hmm. at this point. And, um, that's where I EQ everything too. And like, mm-hmm. just kind of, so it's, it's pretty simple. It's more, um, and, and you, and, and it's more quantity, you know, then because you can always edit it, you can always edit all this. So like for every, for every 10 minute song, there's like 120 minutes of just garbage. Right. And you sure. just pick out like, okay, well at that you know, like at some point you got something that's reasonable yeah. and you kind of put it, cobble it all together. Um, okay. Especially with harsh noise too, it's super easy to edit. Like it, does, you can just pick the best parts and put it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Knows. Yeah. So, um, it some of them are like straight, like not a lot of editing, but some of them are a shit ton of editing, right? Sure. Like, um, 
just to get the good parts and like, oh, I remember that sound yeah. would be great because I'd be like the drop right here. So like you put that yeah. in there. Um, so cool. yeah, nothing really tricky and nothing, I mean, nothing very interesting either. Uh, it's just uh, straight, straight to tape, dub tapes, 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 and then edit on the computer. And that's, but that's source sources must be like then really important for you. I mean, especially if you're using these rats so much, which you say you don't like, you don't think sounds so great. I know you once said like. I think it was in that interview about um i think it was that interview about harsh noise wall that came out in um as loud as possible you said something like like you know you have the rats but you have to feed them the right cheese or something like that like yeah like do you to do i was just talking about yeah but just being careful like with whatever the sources are so i think at that time i was probably doing a lot of like radio like radio go switching between channels type shit mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. and then uh like uh i had these metal sculptures that um i would you know mic up and right then manipulate and like record again and again and again i think a lot of the sound and a lot of the source and a lot of that cheese came from just like like going over and over again and that gets us really kind of saturated like kind of like yeah it's easy to turn it into total mush too um but sure. uh on the best stuff that i did with that technique uh you can hear like it sounds like a thousand different things going on because it's, there's like a thousand different things going on, but it's just like one idea after the next, none of them being great are like you know, <laughs> the great ideas, just enough of them. And maybe that's the lesson right there. It's like, you don't need to have a great idea. You just need a lot of them. Right. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Um, um, you've got some pretty wild track titles um, for your stuff and, and, and album titles over the years, uh, crushing that piss hole. Yeah. Pass out or die trying. That one I like. Pinched sack. That one is good too. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> that one's multi -layer. that one that one is like, man, that that's guy that's a great title. Well, it was the thing that we always used to do, like me and my pals too, I'd be like, that'd make a great album title. Like somebody'd say yeah. something. Yeah. Like, oh dude, that'd make a great album title. So now like I have this opportunity, like, oh, I can make album titles. So like instead of just saying that, I just kind of do it. So is that where the inspiration of those kind of things come from? Is it just like a phrase that kind of stuck with you or, or. Yeah, we, um, we used to do, uh, in addition to like the, some of those other, like when we were talking about my early, early bands and stuff that I was mm -hmm. in, we also did a couple issues of a zine called scratch and sniff Maplethorpe. Mm. Um, so that's where the, that's where the, obviously the name for the label came from, but we would do these like freeform, We'd write, we'd do like, there's a, there's a poetry section for the magazine. So it'd mm -hmm. be like, you'd write a couple phrases and the next person like without, like just would add to it. And so like mm -hmm. that sort of free form, like yeah. association and just using words and language and shit like that. Um, yeah. so that's where the titles would come from, uh, or at least the kind of the process and thinking like that. Um, that piss hole thing is that's embarrassing. I don't know. What, <laughs> Not your really, you know, that's, that's the one thing I have to say I hate about um why don't I hate it? I don't hate it about gaping hole. I I, I feel like um people took and I don't I, and I don't mean to say that I did not take that label seriously. Of course I took it very seriously. Yeah. But the whole aesthetic was not like, dude, you know what's really fucking cool is a butthole, like really <laughs> close up. It was more of a like, it was more of a like, it was like taking the piss out of that kind of stuff. But like, sure, I don't think, I'm not sure 
maybe I'm wrong, but I'm not sure a lot of the reaction I got was like that was not understood to be that way. It was like, yeah, you know, I'm you're probably like, right. I feel like titles like crushing that pistol. Like, what the fuck? Why <laughs> did you? I can't explain that one. I mean, I used to drink a lot too, so like <laughs> maybe that came into play there. But I, I don't know. I don't know about that one. Some of the good no, ones, like Pinch Sack, that one's great because like Pinch that's, got so many great. that's that's yeah. a that's a classic title for sure. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. You also have a series titled uh, or a series of tracks titled "No Entertainment." Um, yeah. What's uh, what's the role of fun in noise for you? Oh, I think fun is like paramount. Like I don't mm-hmm. like I'm not one of those. I I'm not a serious noiser. I mean, obviously. And I think that for better or worse, right? Like, I think that also prevents, you know, certain people from like, given what I do, any chance at all for like, cause mm-hmm. like for some people and, and, you know, all due respect, uh, are super serious about noise, a serious business. And like, this yeah. is, this is how I express my, I have dark themes and shit like that. Yeah. That's just not me. So, um, there, for me, there's an element of playfulness to it. And, also, the kind of noise that I lo- like, like the new blockaders, for instance, is that fucking is that serious to anybody? Like, does anybody yeah. take that really fucking serious? Or the haters, yeah. right? Right. Like, that's not fucking super serious. And may- yeah. I don't mean to like maybe I don't mean to speak for these artists, but maybe it is. I I just don't get the sense that like Jupiter Larson, like he, he he's not like he is taking the piss out of a lot of things. I think, and so like I think that's that's the kind of stuff that appeals to me. And so I think it's super, that's what comes across in, in my, in my stuff too. But it's probably why I'm not partial to, um, you know, power electronics as much. Cause it's just like right. a lot of times that gets super dark and super serious and just like, yeah, you know, I've got the sure. world for that. Yeah. No, this episode of white centipede noise podcast is brought to you by oxen records an independent label focused on artists in the field of harsh noise based in Los Angeles, California. Recent releases include Peter J. Woods' Collages C30, Unsustainable Social Condition, Rapid Polarization 2 C20, Circuit Wound, A Sudden Lapse of Concentration CD, Scathing, A Capital Beneath the Waves CD, and Leah P. Surviving the Familiar CD. www.oxenrecords.bigcartel.com um, what are some non-noise influences on Paranoid Time? I know, I know we've talked a little about wrestling. I know you're yeah. a big heavy metal fan, a lot of different types. Um, yeah. can you talk about how, how some of those interests have, have reflected in themselves in Paranoid Time? Yeah. I think we've talked about it a little bit like the, so like the, yeah, wrestling obviously is one sort of like in, in my demeanor and, and, and my approach and like sort of, um, sort of big gestures too. So like, that's what wrestling is about, right? Like you, mm-hmm. the when wrestler needs to have, everything needs to be a big gesture because you need to be visible to that person, you know, in, in the top, top row. Right. Um, so I think that comes across a bit in the stuff, especially in the live stuff that I do. Um, and then in terms of metal, um, just the idea of like, um, fucking rock, like not like, 
my favorite my favorite genre is thrash so like Mm -hmm. uh to be fucking i'm up there thrashing right and at the same time like uh some of the aesthetics borrowed too is like with the logo like the rat logo it's like all all the best metal metal bands have a fucking logo that you immediately recognize yeah um it's cool that i kind of fell into that with the project so those things there and like i said too like some of the other types of influences like, like frontman type influences from some of those early um noise rock gigs that I saw in Kalamazoo uh, and shows I went to where it just like my mind opened up like prior to that, like I had no idea. Um, I mean, I knew, I knew about like the Ramones and the Misfits and stuff. I had no idea like this dark um, sort of, and at the same time sort of humorous yeah. shit, like heavy shit even existed. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so that always, that's, that, that definitely informed my attitude to like, not only just like to, my artistic stuff, but I think a little bit life too. Um, you know? Yeah. I remember one time we were talking about music and metal. And like I said earlier, I'm not like a metal, I'm not a metal expert. And I was like, Hey, like Pat, do you like portal? And you were like, yeah, those guys, like I get the sense that they're like art guys and not really metal heads. And I feel yeah, like- I, I don't have the right to like say that. Yeah, I mean, I might, I don't know. Um, obviously, what they're doing is very art, like they, with the the the, hat, the <laughs> masks and the hats and all that, whatever that is that they're doing. I mean, but like, but like for you, I think, do, do you feel like like the shit has to have some sort of like like joyful or humor or like um like lightness to it in some way in 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 the heaviness. You mean like in terms of like metal, in terms or, music of metal or in or terms music? of noise, even like, you know, like or in terms of art, yeah. I think it helps. I think I'm more drawn to that kind of thing, to be yeah. honest. Like, um, yeah, like I said, like uh, very bleak, dark, um, serious, um, you know, it's just it's never this never really resonated with me. And like mm. I said, I mean, I think that I've already got enough of a negative attitude and i don't need to like reinforce that with mm. uh you know like the music or art that i consume necessarily it doesn't mean sure. things are like sunshine lollipops and all that kind of stuff but yeah um i do think uh it uh, a sense of like not not forced jocularity of course right because that's yeah. the worst but yeah. like um like Sam McFeeders uh, and Men's Recovery Project and Born Again, you know, do you know any of that? Uh, like his level of uh, the way he approaches the world is fucking right in right in line with sort of like I think the way I do too is uh, pessimistic maybe, but uh, but like always finding something to laugh about with it. Yeah, so, yeah, you know. Coming soon on White Centipede Noise, Altar of Flies, Otterblick Triple LP. Jason Krumer Ruth CD, KM Tupfer, Retrace No Steps CD, Apropot, Hot Lava Shampoo CD, The New Boyfriend's 4 CD. You and me went on tour together with Luke of Being, Luke Tandy of Being, and um, Sam Stockson of Baculum in, I don't have it in front of me, but I think, I want to say 2009 or 2010? I think it was 2009. Yeah, 2009. 2009. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some highlights in your mind that you can think of? And, and maybe a couple of lowlights if you have any. <laughs> um, did we, was that the one, did we go to red light district? Did we play Were you? Yeah, we did. Yeah. That, okay. So that, so that was that one. 
I love that those couple of days there. I think I remember like we went to um, it's not even part of the show. We went to the we went down to that beach that was there. Yeah. And uh, I don't know how many shows we had played prior to that, but I remember feeling kind of like I was kind of already a little bit exhausted. Yeah. Um, and I remember just going out and swimming out a little bit into the water. And this is at Rockaway Beach. Right. And yeah. there's like all these little kids playing in the water. And it was just like sort of like the sun was starting to set. Yeah. And um, uh, it was like, man, this is beautiful. And, and it's yeah. just very serene and very cool. And then we ended up um, going back and the gig was super fun yeah. um, at the house. Uh, I remember Mannion played the fan thing. Yes. That he was doing. That was amazing. It was great. So that, that, that was definitely a highlight. Uh, it feels like that whole that whole thing was fun. Um, yeah. I forgot about that bit um, when we played in Columbus. I think Brad was talking about it on the on their episode that they had of your show where yeah, like we were like egging you. I totally that. I that actually forgot about that too. Head. I got that I got that confused the entire time. I thought he was talking about the show in Cleveland because we played in Cleveland with with Wyatt Skingraft and yes. he fried the PA and oh, played right. like three minutes. Like he played that's like literally three minutes. And yes. I thought he was confusing those, but then I remember no, uh, Columbus was actually somewhere else, and that probably was the case. But I I don't remember that very well. But yeah, yeah, yeah there was some like indie rock. I remember the thing I remember about that is there, like there was some show that was like right next door that there was like this yeah. huge group of people outside the building. It was like, holy shit, what's happening here? And like, <laughs> oh, that's for that's for the indie rock show or whatever that's happening next door. You guys are playing down here, and like nobody's expecting you to play. Yeah. at all. Like I, that's what for I remember. Four people. Like, for four people, yeah, and it was like, <laughs> and I think those four people would have been there whether there was a show or not. Like I think yeah. it was, it felt like we were not expected nor wanted, and especially yeah, once yeah, we started yeah. going, it didn't yeah. seem like that. Um, yeah, that was. I think that whole tour was pretty fun. What else did we? Where else did we play? We you played, did a collab um, with Being one night that was pretty sick. I think. Remember, we played in Pittsburgh. Oh yeah, yes. Kind of oh yeah, show, and there was like, like a weird like party show where there were like different levels to a party and like it was another situation where there was a raging party going on in one of the levels and like it was like you guys are playing on this floor and like no one was there yeah oh and, i remember uh, yeah weren't we all like we were kind of bummed at first like uh yeah nobody knows we're even gonna play like what is going on here and then it yeah. ended up being like uh, the whole room being packed and like everybody sitting on the floor with like their legs crossed like watching us do Something yeah, like that. That, yeah. I don't. I don't really remember that, but I remember we wanted to cut down. We were like, "Fuck this! Let's like, let's uh, <laughs> cut down time and like get out of here like quicker. Like instead of four sets, let's do two sets. Like let's let's buddy up and do collab." So you and uh, you and Luke did a collaboration set, and me and Sam did. All right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember that ended up being like that being one of those like don't judge a book by its cover, like just yeah. chill and just yeah. like let things fucking unfold before you yeah, get, yeah, yeah. Get all fucking freaked out about something. Because I remember us all freaking out for some reason. You were, yeah, I, I remember you were pretty angry like as we were getting set up. You were like, God damn, this sucks. <laughs> yeah, like this sucks. Well, I mean, I think that's where I was. Like, that's just that's where my mind was like back mm. then, you know, like and just like this fucking sucks. Like, <laughs> Why are you up? Like you're like these people are. I don't know. It's fucking stupid. Yeah. Um, so like that was one of those instances where it turned out really awesome and like super appreciative for the experience. And it was like, yeah, it was cool. Yeah, it was that cool. was cool. Yeah, I remember that. That was that was a good one. Mm -hmm. um, what are some who who were some of the most uh, impressive live 
artists that you've seen around that time? I mean, when you were back in the days when you were doing a lot of live gigs and things like that, who, who stand out as a few of like the, the, the sets that just fucking blew you away? Mm-hmm. Uh, Dillaway for yeah. sure. Like super lucky to be like in proximity to that dude for as long as I was. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and to be like friendly with them and everything and think like that, just what a fucking creative, like you can't even begin Aaron Dillaway for me, for sure. Um, who else is cool? Oh, uh, uh, sick llama was always awesome. Like, I'm just going to mm. talk about a bunch of Michigan noise. Cause this is like what I was, this is what I was around. And it's not necessarily stuff that that's like what I, because I think the stuff I was doing was different than what a lot of my peers in Michigan were doing too mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, it doesn't stop the fact that like sick llama was fucking awesome. Sure. Yeah. Um, definitely. Way was awesome. That anytime we saw like, um, uh, like those yellow tears guys, um, yep. Manion and, um, uh, that whole red light crew, um, mm-hmm. Nick from diaphragm. Anytime those guys are involved with anything. Uh, I remember the first time playing with them at some show in Ann Arbor and just like being blown away yeah. by just like much the same way I am today. Like, so today, like when I go out and I, like, I haven't played obviously in a couple of years cause it's been pandemic and I've just slowed down totally. But, it's always surprising to me, like how fucking good everybody is now. Yeah. And I remember that being like the case when I first saw those red light district guys, like, holy shit. Like, and I think they're like, they were like going to school for like composition or something. Like, I don't yeah, know what yeah, it was. Yeah, I but, think so, too. so they're bringing this whole skill set or this whole level of ability that like, is not just like monkey with the machete, you know, like, <laughs> like they're like doing something beyond. And I, and I, I see that that, <laughs> and thankfully that had, uh, had, had an influence too, because like the people I'm seeing today, like when I played, um, it's 2019, the summer scum thing in uh, mm-hmm. Cincinnati, I was just like thinking like, Holy shit. Yeah. Every person I'm seeing here is so fucking good. Yeah. Um, that's my, that's my takeaway. Like, so yeah. Cool. Um, but the, the, as far as people that impressed me when I was first starting out, like Dillaway just took the cake. Like I couldn't believe sure. what he was doing and st- and the way he composed his sets and, uh, and just like his, his demeanor too. Like that, yeah. there's a guy that's like a bit of a pro wrestler type dude. Yes. Um, love it. I've never seen him live. I've, I mean, I love his recordings and I've seen many, you know, live videos, which usually don't do justice. And of course yeah. they don't do justice, but still you can see through these videos that he, he's just doing something totally different. There's the, there's that, there's that video that went viral some years ago. Yeah. I think it was from, from either, I think it was, it was from the Amplified Humans. Amplified Humans.
<laughs> when he got done, and that guy, that guy that's doing the thing on the floor like that, like that's I was standing right behind him all time. Yeah, I'm standing right behind that dude in that video. So like you can kind of see me in that. Yeah, like when that got done, like the place, everybody was just walking around afterwards. Like, yep, that was the best fucking noise that I've ever seen in my life. Like, and yeah. it, it was that fucking good. It was it was really amazing. Yeah, I hope you do get the chance to catch him. So, I mean, I, he still plays all the time. He even goes over to Europe. So He actually was scheduled over here, uh, like, I think to play in November, but he canceled for some reason. Yeah. Well, I almost bought tickets and it was like, it was in, I think, uh, Netherlands or something like that. So I'm glad I didn't. I recommend it. You, you yeah. got to, you got to, it's so good. This episode of white cinema noise podcast is brought to you by Sun Hing Lung located on Henry street between Madison and Catherine. Sun Hing Lung is the premier purveyor of steamed rice noodle below the Manhattan bridge. Sun Hing Lung offers a wide variety of steamed rice noodle rolls, including, but not limited to pork, beef, chicken, dried shrimp, corn, plain, Chinese sausage and mixed vegetable, fishball, egg, watercress, and more. For 50 cents or less, the extra hunger customer can add additional egg or pork to their rice roll. Sun Hing Lung also offers bulk availability of steamed rice noodle for the customer who likes to prepare food at home, in addition to bulk availability of two styles of dumplings and three styles of tofu. Further, Sun Hing Lung offers fresh homemade cold or hot soy milk, as well as herbal teas. And don't get us started on the desserts. Open from 7.30 a.m. to around 4.30 in the afternoon, seven days a week. Come on by and enjoy fresh and satisfying steamed rice noodle and more at Sung Hing Lung, located at 58 Henry Street, between Madison and Catherine. A full stomach awaits. So with your label SNSC, did you have a label philosophy? Did you have like a sort of an approach uh, to what you release and how you how you put it out there, how you marketed it, how you worked with artists? Like when I first started doing the label, it was, uh, I ripped off um, ESP discs. The artist alone decides what goes on his SNSC, his or her <laughs> SNSC release, right? You see uh-huh. that on the back of those covers. So like yeah. I, that was like always my sort of go-to at the time. And I don't think that really necessarily changed. Like I never, <laughs> with the exception of one, there's this one guy that kept sending me demos for gaping hole. And I was like, I will not release, uh, I'm not going to do a release for uh, a project called cookie. Would you fucking <laughs> change the name of that? I won't do it. And then he came back and he changed it. Like, so that was the one time I was able to actually like influence uh, somebody, you know, in terms of like what I was going to present for them. Yeah. No, most of the, other, the rest of the time it was like, <laughs> the, it, it almost always was like whatever they had, right? Like whatever they wanted to, you know, all the way up to the cover, I'll help and I'll assist as much as you want, you know, and put, put as much input as I, as you want. But um, for the most part, you know, it's a, it's, it's up to you. It's your record, right? And I just had faith and just went with um, what they thought would make the best record. For better or worse, too, I guess. You know, like, so I guess mm-hmm. that's part of where the SNSE thing didn't have much of a cohesive aesthetic because I just like let it be whatever the artist wanted it to be. Sure. Whereas like in the gaping hole, I went the total opposite is like, it is this and this and this and this. Yeah. And you know, you can pick the track titles, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but other than that, it's, it's, it's going to conform to like this thing. Cause this is part of a, like a, yeah. a very focused type thing. Yeah. So, that's so gaping hole for those who don't know, you were doing um, one-sided C40s. Yep. The, the layout yeah. was, uniform yep um and it was a mix of real artist names and monikers like, yes 
like um you know i'm not gonna ask you about too. who are the secret artists because um that's fun to, that doesn't need to be known but but there are some big great names under weird one-off monikers um was there any practical reason you did this beyond just like the the aesthetic because it creates a great aesthetic and atmosphere for the label of course but i mean was there any like other reason yeah it was another there? just it was another just asshole move of mine like it was like I'm going to just show like, I'm going to hold a mirror up to like how much of a fucking like popularity contest this fucking shit is. Right. So if I put out a tape by mania, right. Yeah. And then I put out a tape by hard skin, right. Yeah. Like, and mania sells like fucking 50 or whatever was a big deal for gaping hole and hard yeah. skin sells like three. Well, guess fucking what? Yeah. You know, it's the same guy making practically the exact same sounds right yeah. and it's it's so like my the 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 theory <laughs> like ended up being proven out time and again so there's a, there's a lot of those kind of things on there there's the, that you know a lot of the other um pseudonyms or monikers you know yeah. just not just because it's more fun to not tell right but yeah, yeah, like yeah. it would bear out almost every time um, sure there are people that would buy everything just because i liked it you know yeah. there's a few of those yeah uh, they like the aesthetic of the label but then there you know you could always tell if you put out one that has a name and it makes sense i mean i'm not sure it, it's a stupid point it's a stupid point to make <laughs> is what the thing is but it like ended up being a like something i just kind of went with were those monikers oftentimes doubles that had people that people that had um appeared as their own name earlier on the, on the label? Sometimes. And sometimes people would be only just the moniker. And sometimes people, and I always left it up to um, the artist too. Is like, this is what we're doing. It's kind of fun. You know, like if you want to, mm -hmm. I'm not saying you have to. And so it was always kind of telling too, like people that would actually use a moniker and come up yeah. with that. And then people that would just want to go by, you know, <laughs> their, their regular project name. Yeah, I don't yeah. know what that says, but it says something, right? It said about me that I I wanted to be on the famous gaping hole and have it be like <laughs> count towards my project and oh, not right. have it be like <laughs> Well there you go. Yeah, all right. That's not, I was I like, mean, that's... gaping hole, I can be on gaping hole, cool. Like definitely gotta like no, I mean you right. gave me the option too, and I think I, I I did think about it, but I mean I'm sure a lot of yeah. people want that were out. Yeah, that right. makes sense. I get it. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. according to Discogs you are sperm fastener and mutilation man. Is that true? Yep. Yeah. Okay, cool. That I don't wonder like, what the fuck is like, why, why, <laughs> like, why would that? I don't even know. Like, obviously that's funny. Um, <laughs> something. And then there's with things like discogs and the internet, you have to it just, now you have to live with that. That's like in my, I should, I should dispute that or something. Yeah, you could, you could, sperm fastener. I'm what sure you could. All right. Um, <laughs> Maybe I will. What made you stop both of these labels? Like they they both stopped fairly. I don't know exactly what you're having looked at it right now, but um, what what stopped the labels? Yeah, um, seemed like well, there's a there's a culmination of factors. There's my personal life was like I think that's the main thing is like my personal life. I was heading, I was careening towards a divorce. Mm. Um, so like that was just creating chaos in my life. And I couldn't, you know, continue to like, you know, do anything other than just like try to keep your fucking mind together, you know, in that yeah. situation. So there's that, but then beyond that, it, it, both of them had kind of been winding down for a minute. There was like, um, it felt like, um, people didn't 
I, either I was out of tune with like what was happening. Like it feels mm. like those last three albums I put out on SNSC, I did uh, Infirmary and I did mm-hmm. Inhalant record and I did that last Hum of the Druid. And yeah. it's just like, they just like, and those are three records that I wholeheartedly loved and are great records, but yeah. just like none of them. And it may have been, I mean, part of like what was happening with me at the time too, I wasn't able to like do the right kind of promotion or do the right kind of like whatever. Uh, to get them out there, but I just, they fell so flat and I was like, okay, I just put out three records that I'm sitting on a shit ton of copies for and it's past that window of people buying them. So like now I got this and what am yeah. I doing anymore type thing. Uh, yeah. The gaping hole thing was actually more of a, I was no longer able to get the black Norelco uh, cassette cases from like my oh, wow. regular, and it, like there's something weird like that you couldn't get them anywhere. Like, and yeah, I couldn't get the C, I couldn't get, cause part of the whole thing was like, it's gotta be that black C40. Yeah. It's gotta be in this black Norelco, like K, you know, case. Yeah. And, da, da, da. and I couldn't get like the parts I needed. Mm-hmm. So then I went through this weird period where I'd like redesigned like the front. And I did like this different with like stupid, like um, surgery graphics or something in the background. Mm-hmm. It had the, like the idea, but it wasn't really quite, you know, okay. gaping holes. Like, now I'm fucking this up. Um, so it, I better just stop doing that. And so I, both of them just kind of wound down a little, it was sort of naturally, there's no like hard, sure. hard event, but it was just yeah. sort of like diminishing returns in terms of, you know, response from people. And in the same way, it just wasn't, um, something in my life that I could really, um, pay enough attention to to make good, you know? Sure. During that time, that was all pre kind of pre social media days. What were yeah. your methods for like promotion, marketing, distribution at that time? I had, um, well, it was that, that Tronics board. It was all the message boards. So there's mm-hmm. like three, there's like three or four message boards. I know the Tronics one was a big one. I forget. Um, there's like Noise Man. There is, um, I don't know, a couple others that I just don't remember. So like message boards. Um, I also had a giant um, email, like subscriber list that sure. everyone that ordered something, I just put them on there. And then I had a good network of distributors that really was what what I started to lean on, you know, towards the end, like Midheaven, Ron, Lassard, um, uh, you know, and, and a few others that were just like guaranteed you were going to take some copies and help get the word out and get them out there. So, um, yeah, that was about it. You can't really, back in those days, there wasn't much more uh, than that. I never did like a, a MySpace or anything like that. Um, just made sure to keep the the website up to date. I'd always put like sound sure. samples and stuff on the website too, which is um, just made sure to do that. So you could at least check out, you know, get some sound uh, beforehand. Yeah. There was also a photo online that you posted of like a bunch of SNSC stuff in the garbage. Yeah. That's another huge, uh, what a regret. Like what that, that was re- That was after I'd gotten divorced and I was just like, fuck the fuck all everything, you know? And like, what am I going to do? And I didn't know where I was, you know, what was going to happen. I had all of this like distro stuff. I gave a shit ton, like I gave a shit ton of distro stuff, which I wish that I still had now. Cause it's like stuff that like is people are paying dollars for, but I gave a whole bunch of that, uh, away just to various people like come over grab yeah. stuff. You guys went through it that one yeah. time. Like I used to have That's just right. of this shit and I still had, um, a bunch of SNSE and paranoid time stuff. And I think I was like, I don't know. I wasn't in my right mind and I didn't really consider people's feelings 
either. So like I threw stuff away and put in that mm-hmm. picture, like just flippantly. Um, I wish I hadn't done that. Cause like, you know, there's some stuff that some people later contacted me about, yeah. like, I would have taken that, you know, dude. Uh, and I just like treated it like garbage and it wasn't garbage and I didn't mean it for it to come across that way, sure. but I totally understand how, yeah, yeah. you know, somebody would yeah. get that impression from it. So like, that's one of those things mm-hmm. I would totally take back if I could, sure. um, but I can't. So, um, just a stupid thing to do. Yeah, but Sam told me actually. I talked to Sam Stockson last time. He did a similar thing, like in the, I guess one of the slumps of kind of noise, noise interest, and also maybe his personal interest um, mm-hmm. stuff that he'd been sitting on for a long time. He he told me, yeah, a bunch of stuff. I just at one point like threw a bunch of it away. You can do that, but I just don't think it's cool to fucking brag about it and show a picture of the dumpster with people's releases in it. That was my mis- my, my stupid mistake yeah. on it. Like, yeah, I mean, at some point, what are you expected to drag this stuff around for the rest of your life? Like, I'm never going to sell some of this shit. Like, at no, some point, it's, no, it's no, going to I mean, do no. something with it, right? So, like, that was my thinking at the time. But then I thought, oh, it'd be cool to just, like, throw it in the dumpster, <laughs> you know? Like, oh, I think throwing it away is, is legit. If you don't have, mm-hmm. I mean, things get, things get hairy in personal life or personal life gets too real or whatever. And like, you can't, yeah, you or, can't shut records or whatever. Like, but, from a business point, too, I mean, if you're just looking at it business wise too, it's like, again, and go back to like, am I just supposed to like house this stock until I die? Like, right. am I, like supposed to will this to my children, these noise tape? Like <laughs> at some point that's gotta, yeah. you gotta do something with it. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I think it's, I think it's legit. Mm-hmm. Um, Were there any unfinished label plans for either label that, that are, you know, yeah. masters are sitting on or anything like that? Yeah, we were, I was working with Nolan, um, on doing a Kakerlak LP. That would have been fucking badass. Damn. I regret that we didn't finish that. Um, yeah. there's a few others that got away. Like, um, I, I started working on, um, I was going to release this Death Beam CD, which is uh, Spencer Ye uh, and Ron Orvitz from Iove and mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, uh, Chris. I think his name is Rosin. Uh, did you know this band Death Beam? That was this, like it was sort no. of a, Death Beam played drums, and then there was like Ron doing his oscillator thing, and then okay. Spencer would had guitar and like did like his yelping thing, mm-hmm. and it was really fucking cool. I was going to do. Um, I was going to do the LP version of that, but that never really kind of came about. So there's a few regrets and a few projects got away. Probably the biggest one, though, would be that Kakerlak LP. I wish we would have done that because I still don't know. Does he have like a, a actual LP, like a tw- like a vinyl 12-inch LP? Dude, I can only imagine how many people are like hoping they're the one that gets that get the Kakerlak LP. Yeah, we were working on it. Uh, oh, the other <laughs> one too, Tommy, like wouldn't let me, um, this actually, if you want to talk about demoralizing shit that like, like makes you think like, why am I bothering this anymore? Uh, Tommy, uh, the Vinal tape that he did, like I was yeah. begging him like, dude, let's just put this out. Let's, I will do it right now. Let's put this out on, uh, on vinyl. We'll, let's, we'll do an LP yeah. version of it. And he's like, no, I think we should just leave it as, as B, you know, like, um, dude. And then he comes back like years later. It's like, I should have just let you do that. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, you, yeah you I need- do that. That would have been like a boost that would, and, and it, I'll, actually I was thinking about this cause I know that you ask people about like what their favorite releases are. That's like one of my, that's a top five for me right there. 
Yeah, you I mean, know. it's just one of those instances where it's like, man, I want to put out yeah. one of my favorite recordings. Um, yeah. That would be great. And he just, he wouldn't let me do it. Like, I don't know what the deal is. Like, I think it's best to just leave it on tape. Yeah. You do. <laughs> I, I, I asked him about that actually in, in our interview. And, and oh, so you you'll hear, okay. you'll hear what he, he has to say. About it. Yeah, he just like, yeah, I don't really know why. I'm just, I was stupid. <laughs> you know? he just say, yeah, he was just like, I'm not, I don't want to. Oh, all right. Then fuck it. I don't want to do the label anymore. How do you like that? <laughs> <laughs> fuck. So he's responsible in part. No, I, Damn. partially, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> do you ever see yourself starting up a label again? Nah, I don't think so. I don't know. I think about it. Like, um, I don't even know what I would do. I don't think I have, I honestly don't have, I couldn't do it well at this. I couldn't do it. The, I couldn't do it well enough. Right. Like mm. it takes way more mind space and attention, um, than I've got to give right now. Plus I think I've just kind of, um, I, I want to be more, at least from the noise, noise side of things. Um, mm. I need to be more, um, um, hyped about it. Like, I, like I need to be more involved, like super into it. And it's like, it's not that I dislike noise. I'm just like, I'm not in the scene as much involved mm -hmm. in it as I was at the time. Um, uh, when I was running the other labels. So yeah, I think you got to do, you got to have all that going before you even decide to just start putting stuff out to, to, to operate like in good faith and do a good job, you know, for yeah, the definitely. artists you're working with. Definitely. Do you ever miss it? Do you feel nostalgic about those times? Like deep activity? and noise? No, I don't feel nostalgic for the time. Definitely not. Um, mm -hmm. But I do look back and I'm proud of the work that we did. Like, yeah. and I wish that, and there are, there are moments where it's like, I wish I had uh, some sort of project going that would have, you know, that same sort of satisfaction, you know, cause it was just as set, if not more so satisfying for me to like release somebody else's kick-ass record than to have some paranoid time thing come out that, people say yeah. they like, you know, like that's yeah. sort of, it was just as satisfying to do that for somebody else. So like, yeah. I, I missed that a little bit once in a while aspect of it, but uh, all the times in the, like the, there's a lot of personal life stuff that was like happening during the course of that, that like, I'm, I'm a totally different person and like in a way better spot than I was. So, so like, I don't even know if I could do, yeah, I don't even know if I could do the same sort of job now simply because I'm not as much of a, a miserable, I'm not as miserable, like, I don't know if that's a requirement, but I think that's part of like what fueled some of the shit, to be honest. Sure. Sure. You know? oh, well, I'm, ha I'm happy for you then. That's good. That's good to hear. Even if it means a little bit less noise, that's still a yeah. very good development. Noise is always there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Cool. Well, um, you alluded to it. I would like to ask you, what are your f top five noise releases of all time? Yeah. Top five, like, um, uh, bodies bear traces of carnal violence is the one that just fucking changed. I think it changed my life in terms of, um, what I thought about, like what I even knew about noise, mm -hmm. um, opened up my, all my favorites are going to be like of this certain time frame because it's sure. like, this is when I got into it. Yeah. Like anybody's would be necessarily. Yeah. Um, that is one CD that I actually have worn out. Like I've had to buy multiple copies of that thing. Cause I wore it out. Cause I listened wow. to it too much. Yeah. Um, I used to have like a job at a print shop where I was doing pre-press stuff and I had my own like little office space and that thing would just be going like all day, all the time. Um, that's probably my top favorite noise, uh, thing that anthology, uh, that the new block Gators put out with the four discs, um, mm -hmm. 20th anniversary thing has got to be one of them. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, night of the bloody tapes. Yep. 
enough said. Um, yeah. The the Vinal, uh, I don't know, am I saying that right? Vinal, Vinal. Uh, I, I don't know. I said you know, I was. You know what I'm talking about? That is vinyl. like that. That it, it, we've just talked about that. That is obviously in the top five. What else? Yeah. Um, oh, the Killing Four tapes. Yeah. Those killing like one of those first couple like the Norland or Finland or yep. all those yep. early ones on Harsh Heads. Um, yeah. That was those are another. You know, those were recordings that, like, we've already talked about, like, certainly informed, like, what I thought I wanted to do and what I liked about noise and still like about it to this day. So, in terms of noise, sure. I think, though, yeah, those are my, I think that's four or five. That's five. That's five. That's good. Yeah. Cool. cool. What about some things of the last year or so? I mean, I don't know how much you're buying or picking up or checking out, but but some newer stuff you've checked out recently that you're really into. Yeah, there's a couple of things that came out this year that, I that um, like you said, I don't. I'm not as on top of it and as plugged in as I as I was at one point, but I do catch mm-hmm. stuff. Um, there's a junk metal tape that came out on this label called Cruel Symphonies. Um, uh, XA8, is it ZA? XAH, do you know what I'm talking about? XAH? Um, yeah, that's how you... Uh, I'll send you the link. X, it's cool. in, do you know no, this I've label, Cruel, Cruel Symphonies? Have you ever heard of this label? It, it rings a bell, but I don't... I don't think right, I have I'll send you a link. It's like, it's just junk. It's straight. Like I was thinking like, what did I hear this year that I really liked and that I actually yeah. bought? And that it's just pure junk metal. Cool. Yeah. Abuse. That's awesome. Um, that commuter disc that uh, Sam did on yep. phage yep. is fucking awesome. Um, yep. Maybe the, that uh, Lucy and Aaron uh, record that Dillaway yep. did um, with um, uh, what's her I, Lucretia Dalt, I think. Yes. Yep. Yep. That record, uh, that record actually had some moments where my, I mean, my, my jaw was legit, you know, yeah. like, wow. Yeah. Um, those things, awesome. those, those are, th- those are, those are some releases cool. I can think of off the top of my head that from this nice. past year that rule. Do you listen to that commuter disc? You like that commuter disc? I haven't listened to it yet. Actually. I'm, I'm sorry to say I have it here. Uh, I have it for the distro. Um, it's on my stack of to listen, but I haven't heard. I don't it. even know if it's that good, to be honest. But it, I, but I, re, but it's stuck with me, and I've played it more than once, right? So that's I've got to check it out because I've I, people have been really people have been really into it, and I made the connection. It's the dude from Herocrat, or okay, yeah, um, I don't even know. I, uh, uh, I didn't know anything about it when I got it, but yeah, so I, I, I definitely have to check it out real soon. I'd say cool, too, like good. obviously, like the that Kakerlac um, reissue uh, thing and the Alice Galesga reissue yeah. stuff has gotten play around here too, simply because I don't yeah. want to dig up the old tapes and the, like got these nice crisp sounding CDs of them. Yeah. So, like, I'm a huge fan of the reissue program for the CDs. I mean, yeah, I understand people kind of being like um, maybe like frustrated that maybe less attention is given to new stuff, but. At the same time, I think there's so much good material out there that needs to be preserved, and and I don't have the budget. I've never had the budget for the old stuff, like the '90s stuff, the '80s stuff. I've I've never had that budget. And I don't think I ever will. Um, yeah, and even I the stuff from the like, 2000s that kind of disappeared. Um, I love having that available to hear on a CD for like you know posterity. 10, 15 bucks. That's super awesome. Yeah, and some of the stuff you know like. I think disc rod is a real concern, you know, like a lot of the stuff yeah. that was on CDR. I don't know how many great releases yeah. are on CDR necessarily. I'm sure a lot, but like, sure. I mean, that's something to consider. Um, yeah. I get a little tired of like the, the nineties, the 80, like, I mean, it's all yeah. good stuff. Right. But like, yeah, 
I don't know. That's just, but what, what the fuck does it matter what I think? Like, I don't even, I'm not even necessarily, I'm not even that involved, but it's like, oh, another Mertzbo, you know, sure. oh, Masana, another Masana reissue. Like, yeah, I'm sure yeah. it's great stuff and I didn't hear it in the first place and I'm sure it's great, but yeah, um, it feels kind of like uh, your parents making you listen to the Beatles or something like that, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I can see that. I can yeah, see that. So I don't know. Yeah, cool. <laughs> I'm going to send you the link to that. Uh, I can't, I don't even know how to pronounce it. Z X A H. Check it. It's just, and that's za, like pizza. Not even, yeah, like za, <laughs> like pizza. It's our, ah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's um, good. That's a good recommendation. I don't even good, know if it's, it's that good, to be honest, but it, I think it is. It's like, it's, it's, something, that, but it's something that's resonated with you. That's cool because yes, that's I all. like having something here that's, uh, that I don't know about that maybe probably other people don't know as much about. Yeah, um, that's all I can say. So it resonated with me for like, and I like I said, I don't, I'm not, I'm not catching everything these days. But that came across my ears. And I bought it, right, and I cool. listened to it. So nice, yeah. killer. Yeah. Now available for pre-order, Mote soundtrack to Engram CD. Engram is a feature-length film written and directed by Basha Napora and produced by White Centipede Noise, featuring an original soundtrack by Mote. The film was shot in the summer of 2021 on 16mm film and is currently in post-production for a spring 2022 release. All proceeds from the CD go directly to financing the film. Please visit whitecentipedenoise.com to learn more. All right, man. Well, that's great. Um, is there anything you'd like to add as we before we wrap this up? I don't Tell the people. So. What are you, are you, is, there a, is there a Paranoid Town LP coming? You know, I, I was I was supposed to do um, No Rent, asked for one a long time ago. I was supposed to be like the first LP on No Rent. And I um, that was another thing I just kind of fucked up. Like I didn't, I just, yeah. I just didn't, my life at the time, I just couldn't get it done. I, yeah. So there's been bits and pieces of things I'm working on. And then like, I like, I solicited a bunch of friends. Tommy was one of them. Um, Wyatt from Skin Graft is another. Um, for like material and I was going to utilize mm -hmm. and I was utilizing and I started these tracks uh, and it just never, like I w wasn't able to like get anything that I felt was good enough um, mm. and do these things justice. Right. And I think mm. I just became victim of my own, like um, maybe it's not perfectionism, but it's just like, sure. I but... just doubted what I was doing. Right. Like, like, yeah, this is going to be an LP. It's got to yeah. be really great. And these guys gave me this great source material. Do I even know what the fuck to do with somebody's source material? Why did I even ask for this? Right? Yeah. Like, cause I, I don't, I don't, I'm not a remixer or something like that. So yeah. I still have that. And I feel like, you know, I feel like the ship has sort of sailed on that sort of thing, but like, maybe mm -hmm. like, maybe when I'm like 60 or 70 years old in a couple yeah. of years, um, the ship hasn't sailed, man. That's uh I don't know. Does anybody want, like, I don't know that anybody like, here's fuck yeah, one. dude, fuck yeah. We'll see. Absolutely. We'll see. I don't know. Uh, yeah, there's not, there's, there's things that I could be doing and um, there's ideas that I have, but I'd like, um, right now, actually, I've been doing more like jamming with just a couple of pals. We got this um, group that we, that I kind of think is like the Dead Sea, sort of like it's quieter, like clankier, uh -huh. like um, with samples and shit. And like, and it does, like I do bring some of the paranoid time elements into it. It always just starts like creaky and cranky, and then it turns into like this big full blown like. Um, nice. Yeah. So it's called Airgern. Um, 
So I might be cool. might do something with them at some point. Yeah, have you you haven't recorded or released anything yet? Uh, we haven't released anything. I can. Uh, there's a. We played a couple of shows. Um, cool. I'll send you a link to those kind of. Things. Yeah, I would love to hear. I still think it's cool. Um, but like, yeah, it's a, that's the sort of thing that I'm doing now. But we'll see. Nothing. Great. Nothing. Nothing solid in the works. But you never know. Okay. Good. That's that's enough hope for us. <laughs> hold on. Hope. We'll hold on to that. All right. <laughs> Well, Pat, I really appreciate it. It was great to talk to you. Um, yeah, man. Thank you. Uh, it was great to be asked and I appreciate the interest and uh, keep on keeping on with what you're doing. Thanks for, uh, yep. I think Luke, Luke said it right. Like you're keeping the torch alive for Midwest noise <laughs> halfway across the world. It's awesome. Uh, well, thanks. I, I'm happy to be able to do it. All right. Yeah. All right, man. See you later, man. See ya. Thank you for tuning into White Centipede Noise Podcast please hit the like button and subscribe to this channel. This podcast is made possible by viewer and listener support. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider supporting it at patreon.com slash white centipede noise.